This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, I'm going to be reading Acts 20, 24 to the end of the chapter. Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these, th- these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. We match. She did not set my clothes out for me, I promise. I dressed myself. So this is my fault. Uh, anyway, it's awesome to have you here today. I want to talk a little bit about, first of all, uh, dangers and risks. Whenever you attempt anything worthwhile, it's going to come with some danger and some risk. You want to make money in the stock market? Guess what? There is some risk involved. And the more money you want to make, the more risk you're going to have to take. You want to see the world from the top of the highest peak? Uh, there's some risk and dangers in climbing Mount Everest, just so you know. We actually just finished a book about that, Courtney and I did. And uh, there's some risk involved with that. And if you want to have an impact with the gospel in our world, it too comes with some dangers and some risks. So here we have Paul, and Paul is finishing his ministry of planting churches. His eyes are toward Jerusalem, and eventually he ends up in Rome. And so this marks a significant transition period in the book of Acts and in the life of Paul. And he is leaving these people to whom he administered to for three years. And before he goes, he gathers them together, and he instructs them and disciples them and teaches them. And what we saw last time in the first half that we studied 
is Paul really said, hey, here's the example that I left you. And uh, we see some key words, some characteristics of what an effective gospel minister looks like. There are words like humility and compassion and instruction and determination. These were the things that we saw that were in the Apostle Paul. Now, today what we're going to see is some dangers that come when you do gospel ministry, we see a significant transition. If you take a look at verse number 25, you see the words, and now. We saw them before in verse 22, and now. And these words kind of mark little transitions in Paul's uh, sermon. And he's in this final transition where he's now going to talk about some of the dangers that are we face in gospel ministry. Now, I've asked this recently, but I'll ask this again. Whenever we face dangers, we have two natural reactions. They are fight and flight. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about that, how that impacts these dangers when we face them, because church, we will face these same dangers. Uh, And then also, I want to talk about how the gospel just interweaves and helps us face these dangers together. So let's talk about the first danger we see, the dangers we face, the dangers to face in gospel ministry. And here's the first danger, the danger of heartache, the danger of heartache. And I want you to look at verse number 25, if you would. He says this, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Now, Paul's going to go on to say a whole lot more, but this really just struck hard to the Ephesian elders, these guys who were with Paul, who loved Paul, who served with Paul, because I want you to take a look at how they responded at the end. Take a look at verse number 38. Uh, sorry, actually verse number 37. And there was much weeping, verse 37, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Why? Being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's a tender, sweet moment. It's, it's heartbreaking. And I'm sure that probably in this room, you've experienced something similar where you had to leave somebody you love dearly. You've had that heartache moment. And really, the closer the relationships are, the harder those goodbyes are. Uh, I'm, I'm facing another goodbye here pretty soon when uh, dad goes off to Alaska to live. He's been with us now for over a month, kind of hard to believe, uh, but he has been. And uh, is that right? Close, close to a month, who knows? He's been with us for a while, and he's getting better. This past week, we uh, caught him outside uh, clearing some brush from behind our fence. <laughs> like, he went out, and he even used a chainsaw to do some of that. So he's getting better, for sure. Uh, but, um, you know, there's going to come time pretty quickly where he's on his feet, and he's ready to go. And uh, he's ready to go to Alaska, where he's going to be cared for by my sister, and there's long-term care for him out there. So it's the right move to make, for sure. But... Uh, but I'm going to have a hard time saying bye to dad. We're really, really close. Now, I don't believe it's the last time I'll ever see him, but the reality is none of us are getting any younger, and uh, that's going to be a sad, sad moment. And those moments happen, and, and dad and I are close, and that's why it's hard. And listen now, when you do gospel ministry right, you develop close, personal, deep relationships. Uh, Paul 
put it this way in uh, First Thessalonians, and just look at the language that he used here. He said, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. I love that verse. I've said before, I want to write that over the biblical counseling ministry of redemption. Like, I want that to be how we do ministry. We love each other that deeply. Albert Barnes said this in his commentary, the effect of true religion is to make the heart more tender, to make friendships more affectionate and sacred, and to unite more closely the bonds of love. And it's a danger because it's going to happen. I mean, it is happening right now in our church. The Warners have been with us for almost 10 years. Drew's been by my side in ministry in some capacity for that long. Like early on, he was coming over during his lunch break and hanging out at our offices just to kind of be with us. And then he became a pastoral intern, and then he became a part-time pastor. Then he's been a full-time pastor. And now we are sending him out having invested in him and uh, given him opportunity to grow in his gifting. And he's coming and said, I want, I want to go and use this uh, more uh, for the glory of God and uh, more opportunities to use my gifting. And, and we say, we love that. We, we, we love the fact that you want to invest in God's kingdom and, and go further with that. We hate the fact that you have to go to do it. And it is very, very heartbreaking for sure. But those are the good heartbreaks. Those are the good goodbyes, and they are part of ministry. But not all departures are good and healthy. Not all heartache is good heartache. Uh, I've had my heart broken by people who leave, and as they leave, they want to cause as much damage as possible on the way out. And oftentimes, man, they've been people who I have been in the trenches with former elders, former small group leaders, people who have been there with us along the way, and then somehow something happens, and now all of a sudden they want to destroy the thing that we're doing. And uh, when you look at the Bible, it is not uncommon, in fact. This is incredible. This is actually found in the Psalms. This is so early on. This is David writing Psalm 55, which happened to be my devotions yesterday. But check this out. For it is not my enemy or an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together when, within God's house. We walked in the throng. I mean, it's just like, it hurts. And some of you have experienced that. Some of you have been hurt in the church. I preached a series not so long ago. Well, maybe it wasn't long ago now, but it was called When Church Hurts. And I know that you've experienced, like probably a lot of you have experienced that. And so what do you do? Because I'm telling you, 
heartache and ministry do go hand in hand. It is something there. And we have a choice to make. And the choice is not not if it's going to happen, but how are we going to react when the danger does happen? What are we going to do when that happens? And I want to say to you, the choice becomes this. Do I withdraw from people or do I draw near to God? Because what you could do is say this, well, if that's going to be the case, if people are going to hurt me, then I'm not doing it. I'm not having relationships. I'm going to turtle up. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to protect myself from those who would hurt me. And we have that choice. And I want to say to you, there's a better choice. That's a flight choice. And our temptation is to get away from the danger. But there's something better to do. And that is to draw near to God. Draw into him and find in him those things that, church, we need. God's word is clear that we need one another. I'm going to talk more about this a little bit later, but we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need one another. Look to your neighbor and say, we need one another. Now, I'm sorry if that wasn't your spouse that you're sitting next to. That probably made that a little awkward, but you get the idea. You get the idea. We all need each other. We do. We need one another especially with brothers and sisters. You know, we don't want to do that. You'll be like, eh. But we do. As God's people, we need each other. And so here's, here it is. Church, the trick is to find all that you need in Christ and him alone. Not easy to do, okay? But don't look for people to feel, fill your love tank. God's got to be the one that fills your love tank. Don't look for people to fill your significance tank, your approval tank. God's got to be the one that does that. And as you learn to lean on him and do that, then you're going to be able to withstand uh, that heartache a little bit more because people will fail you, but God never will. And, and, and I want to show you how the gospel fits in here in two, in two key ways. First of all, uh, do you know that um, uh, you find in Jesus a sympathetic high priest? Because was he ever betrayed? Was he ever backstabbed? I mean, think at the end, all the disciples left him. Judas betrayed him. And yet scripture says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's a reality to where you can go to Jesus with that heartache. And you're going to find a God who says, I know. I know it hurts. I have felt that too, and I love you. But here's the other thing. So that's kind of how to deal with the bad heartache. Here's the thing about the good heartache is that um, this life is not all there is, praise God. There is a life to come for eternity. And the blessed thing about, ever, about gospel ministry relationships or relationships in Christ is they are eternal relationships, there will be a day when I say goodbye to my dad for the last time here on earth. Only for a short season, and then we're together forever in heaven because my dad loves Jesus. I love it how the Old Testament says Abraham died and he pulled his feet into his bed. He breathed his last and he was gathered to his people. And there is a people in heaven that await eternity and have already put in a request to have a next door to the Warners when we get there. So it's going to be, now, they may have a different request, but that's my request, and we'll see how that goes. And I'm just saying there's a blessedness about an eternal relationship together forever. To dwell above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. 
to dwell below with people we know, well, that's another story. But anyway, heartache is a danger we can face, and the gospel is the answer. Let's look at this second uh, danger that we face, and it's a danger of failure, the danger of failure. And as you write that down, some of you have heart palpitations because you fear failure more than you fear anything. But I want to see in the text and help you with that. This is now verse number 28. So failure is that second danger. And here's the text, verse 28, where Paul says this. Very, very, very important words here. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now, he's talking to elders particularly, and I think it's just important to see that he says, pay attention to yourself. He often says this to elders. He said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. He said this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, uh, uh, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wow, that's a big deal. That weighs heavy on this pastor's heart, for sure, to keep a close watch that tells you we need to do this. Look, it's, it's easy to not to keep a close watch on yourself. It's easy just to go through life and not give much thought about it at all, to do the thing you always do, to get up tomorrow and go through the motions, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a train wreck because you haven't been paying careful attention. But God's word says keep a close watch. And in fact, Paul said this to the church in Corinth, a church that was a mess. Paul said this as an example to them in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that all in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's a lot in that. Here are two things I want you to see, particularly of that text. Uh, number one, there is an eternal prize that's worth it. Gospel ministry is an eternal prize. Think about this, man. So uh, if you work in labor in most of your jobs, like, for example, uh, I've mentioned to you, I teach Excel classes, and I do that from time to time. And here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go up to the Middlebury area, and I can't mention names, I'm not supposed to, but one of the RV manufacturers up there, I'm going to teach them how to use Excel so they can make better RVs. And uh, if they nail it and they grab it, they become Excel experts, one day they will die, and the company will die, and a thousand years from now, no one will ever know anything about that company. There you go. Let that motivate your work tomorrow. Um, <laughs> But when you do gospel ministry, and by the way, I can do gospel ministry there too, right? Okay. Uh, when we do gospel ministry and the gospel takes root and the gospel hits, that's eternal. That lasts forever. That's worth. That's worth it. The second thing I'll notice, not only is there a prize that's worth it, uh, there is work involved. And I'm telling you, look at the words that are used here. Disciplined, self-control, keep it under control. Just, just words that just speak to this need of controlling yourself. And it is hard, hard work. And I want to commend you to that. 
Okay, so what exactly then are we fighting against? Where is the battle? Well, I want to point at three key enemies of the Christian life, the three key enemies that Christians face. Let's talk about them a little bit. Uh, Satan, the world, and the flesh. These are the three key enemies that we face, Satan, the world, and the flesh. And I want you to see these uh, each. So I can't spend a lot of time here, but let me just briefly cover these. First of all, let's talk about the enemy of Satan. Uh, Listen, church, there is spiritual warfare at play. There is spiritual warfare. It is a thing. And I think in sometimes in Bible-loving churches, we have a tendency sometimes to discount the supernatural. But I'm telling you right now, there is a supernatural element that is active and alive. Why do I know that? Because God's Word tells me so. Here is uh, Ephesians 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, okay, and, uh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I'm telling you, I've seen some stuff and experienced some stuff that's just about spooky. And why is it that uh, we experience some real interesting things on Saturday night? <laughs> Courtney said it last night. I forget exactly what we're talking about, but something. And she was like, well, it's Saturday night. I'm like, yep, it sure is. Like, for some odd reason, this is, I don't know what this is, uh, but some, my blood pressure just went through the roof last night. I don't know why. I had a day of rest yesterday. Like, I purposely planned yesterday to be a day where I can just relax and chill. I think it has to do with Ohio State, if I'm being honest with you. I think there's something there that we need to just boycott. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but... <laughs> But anyway, uh, I don't know. I really wasn't even that invested in the game. Like, I, did, I mean, I care, but I didn't care all that much. But somehow, but just the weirdest things occur in the weirdest times. I don't know if that's spiritual warfare, but I have seen some things I know for sure are spiritual warfare, and it's out there. By the way, how do we fight spiritual warfare? What's the next portion of this text talk about? Do you know? Ephesians 6, do you know where it goes from here? Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. And you study out the armor, it's really interesting because all the armor is is different aspects of the gospel. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. I'm not righteous. No, you're not. But who is righteous in my place? Jesus. And I got his righteousness when he took my sin, uh, Ephesians, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 21. So there is there, all of the armor, different elements of the gospel. And what it's really saying is every day, Put on the gospel. Put on the gospel. Think about it from different angles and elements. It's like a diamond. It's so many facets in the gospel. But anyway, that, that's how the gospel is into play. So that's the enemy of Satan in spiritual warfare. There's the enemy of the world. It says there in 1 John 2, uh, do not love the world. Now, when you see the word world, uh, what that means is this order, this system that we see today, culture, kind of life around us. Uh, that is ruled by the enemy. In fact, we'll keep reading here. Do not love the things of the world, uh, the, the world, things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here they are, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pause for a minute. Can you see how the world around us is really anchored on those three things? Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is so much of what the world is built on. And uh, uh, so, so don't love that. Don't love that. Uh, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, listen, in the coming weeks, we're going to do a whole, in fact, starting next week, we're going to start a new series, take a mini-series. We're going to call it The Bible in Life. 
what we're going to do is say, okay, how do you live in our world and culture with a biblical worldview? And what does that really look like when the rubber meets the road of life? So next week, I just want to you know, kind of put the foundational argument down. Should we? Should the Bible inform every other aspect of our life? Why is that a thing? Why would we do that? So I want to establish that next week. We can talk about that. But then we're going to talk about, well, how about the Bible and culture? How about the Bible and our citizenship? How about the Bible and gender and uh, roles and all of that? How does it all play out? And we'll do a uh, mini-series on those things. So come out and be a part of that. But I'm going to save a lot of that preaching for that. And I want to focus on this last enemy, the enemy of the flesh, the enemy of the flesh. And uh, to do that, I want you to go to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians 5. There are certain texts in Scripture that really focus in on certain topics. If you want to really dive into the church, look at Ephesians 3 going into Ephesians 4, where there's specific instruction given to the church. It really focuses in on the church. If you want to know how to do marriage, focus on Ephesians 5, which really focuses in on the marriage. In this text, Galatians 5, uh, 16 and, and on, really focus on what does it mean to combat the flesh, what is the flesh, and what does it mean to combat the flesh? So we're going to get a definition of the word here, but let's start in verse number 16 where it says this. This is Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That word is really interesting, desires, lusts, wants. Here's verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to one another. Here it is, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So there's this phrase uh, called um, uh, left to your own devices. You've probably heard this before. And, and what would we be if we were just left to our own devices? Like, what would we be if you just did whatever you thought felt good in the moment? Man, I felt like drinking a whole two liter of Coca-Cola. Well, well, okay, go for it enough times and it'll literally eat your guts probably. Because uh, Pepsi is fine. But Coca-Cola will... Uh, what feels good in the moment. I'm going to eat all of this fried chicken. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is like, and if we do that and we live in that, like, what are we going to be left to our own devices? But when we're operating just from our fleshly desires, that's what it means to be fleshly. So there's a good phrase to underline right there to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So by nature, the sinful things we want to do, that's living in the flesh. That's one of the key enemies you have and that I have. So now verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So how do I know if I'm living in the flesh? What's evidencing the fact that I'm probably living in the flesh? Well, are you seeing these in your life? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, which means loving something more than you love God. Sorcery, by the way, the a Greek word for sorcery, pharmasuke, it, it could be drugs, drug use could be there. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pause. Church, if this is your lifestyle, like, like that's how you live life, those are the words describing it, you might not be a Christian you might not actually believe in Jesus. And so what you need to do is come to Christ. 
and talk to me, talk to one of the elders. We'll teach you what it means to be a believer, which is simply faith in Jesus Christ. I'll talk about it more in a minute. So, so that's the, that's, if those things are evidencing in your life, you're living in the flesh. But look at the, the other way to live. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, let's take a quick vote here. How many think that living in the flesh is the way to live? Great. How many think living in the Spirit is the way to live? Can we take a vote on that? All right, good. The Spirit has it. Fantastic. Hopefully you'll say that tomorrow, too, and Tuesday and Friday night or whatever. But um, So how do we do it then? How do we do it? I think you need two key sources. So Galatians points to two key sources of outside help. You can't do it in yourself. You need outside help. Here are the two key sources. Number one, God. Take a look at verse number 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus. Ah, so that's, there, there's something important there. Look at me now, please. You belong to Jesus. He belongs to you. And really a foundation for living in the Spirit is just drawing close to Jesus and living like you belong to him, that he belongs to you, abiding in Christ, John 15. And then this, so, and those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So it is keeping in step with what God's Word has to say. So you need God, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit guiding you as you live in the gospel and live that out. But here's also what you need, because look at chapter 6, verse 1. What's the first word you read there? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other as well. And listen to me now. If you want to get victory over sin in your life, then get that sin out of the dark. Bring it to the light of people who love you and will help you fight it. There are men who get victory over pornography when they bring that thing to the light, have other men keeping them accountable, and they're walking together to fight the battle together. When you leave it in the dark because of your shame, and I get the shame that's involved with that. When you leave it in the dark, man, you try to fight it on your own, you'll never win that battle. You need brothers around you. Drag that thing to the light. Maybe you're struggling with worry and anxiety and that's bogging you down in depression and these things and you come to church and how are, oh, I'm doing good. I'm just praising Jesus. I'm just doing great when really inside you're hurting and you got to pretend like you're okay all the time when you know you're not okay. Listen, it's okay to not be okay. Can we say that together? It's okay to not be okay. We're not going to leave you there. We want to provide some help to come alongside you and to put people around you to help battle. And there are some things that maybe you're struggling with that bring you to depression and despair that with a little bit of truth in God's word and a little bit of people help dragging your heart back to the truth of who Jesus really is, fighting those lies of the enemy, you can walk in victory. And scripture talks about it all the time. Here's Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now watch this. This is incredible. But exhort one another. Okay, look at this on the screen with me. But exhort one another. How often? Come on, church, say it out loud. 
And as long as it's still called like today, before today becomes tomorrow, you gotta get on the phone or the text or the telegram or the Facebook messenger or the Instagram DM or the whatever else is out there. And you're gonna say, brother, how are you doing? Let's get out of that. Let's do it this way. Let's walk together with Jesus. Why? Uh, the text is going to say that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share Christ, if indeed we hold the original confession to the end. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. Later on in verse 19, he says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's a beautiful picture. This is what we need. Brothers coming alongside brothers, being honest, being real, confessing sin, battling together. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I got guys around me who every week ask me hard questions, and I hope that you have that. I, I have it because I need it. Um, and you need it as well. We all need it together. Now, here are some questions. If you don't have any, uh, we can make this available to you. This is what we use in men's mutual ministry. This is what I use with my guys. So I want to start with looking at this middle section, sexual purity. Look at some of these questions. I have, uh, I have not purposely looked at, read, or otherwise engaged in anything intended to arouse me that is not my spouse. Important question. I have actively avoided known triggers for sexual temptation. I'm um, not spent time with a woman in a way that can be viewed as compromising my purity or my faithfulness to my. So you get these questions are really, really important. And these are the questions that we need to ask each other. Now, look, those come after, though, the questions that are all about the gospel. And the key of all of this is really living in the gospel. Because here's a question for you, church Will you fail? Now, maybe it's not, I'll fail the pornography. Maybe you'll never do that. Praise God if you don't. But you all have your own struggle. Can I get a witness? And you're going to fail on that struggle, aren't you? You're going to sin because you're what? Okay. So, so then what do we do? We, we, we confess. And when we confess, what does God do? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And I love it when Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, you, my son, therefore be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You want strength to fight the sin? It is by remembering his grace again and again and again. All right. I originally had four points in this sermon. I had to cut it down to three, and you can see why. There's just so much to talk about. But if you guys, you know, want to, we'll stay till one, and I'll preach all four. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Is he really going to do that? I guess we'll see, won't we? All right, so heartache, failure is a, is a, is a danger, and uh, you fight that by getting brothers around you, getting people around you, and diving into God. You need God. You need others. You need God. You need others. You need God's grace. You need others to help keep you accountable. And uh, you'll see some victory in that. Here's, here's the last uh, danger I want to show you. So we got heartache. We got failure. We got this. We have wolves. And I want you to see this in the text, wolves. Uh, let's go to verse number 29. Paul says this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be alert. And he says, remember how I served among you. He goes back to his example again. But he definitely says, hey, there are wolves coming. There are wolves coming. And they want to tear the church apart. And just as it was true for the church in Ephesus... 
it is true for Redemption Bible Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. There are wolves, and they're coming, and they want to tear this church apart. And it's not a matter of if. Because church, they've already been here. There's already been attempts. And I want to say to you, we've got to be aware. We've got to be careful of them. Jesus himself warned us they would come. Here's Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15. Uh, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So pause for a second. Isn't that interesting how, how they look like sheep? They talk like sheep. They act like sheep. They smell like sheep. They, they pretend to be sheep. And so they're really hard to detect. But then Jesus says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. So there is something to see. There is some evidence. So what are those fruits? Great question. Paul identifies several in our text. So let me show you from the text, because the points better come from the text. Can I get a witness? So here we are, verse number 29. And I want you to write this down first. I want some fruits of the wolves. Here it is. Number one, they attack the church. They attack the church. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Here it is, not sparing the flock. I don't care what happens to the church. I don't care what happens to those people. I just want my thing, my way. Do you know how important unity in a church is to our God? It is so important. Remember how from time to time, I'll take you to Ephesians 4, and we'll read the text together, and I'll say, hey, every time we come across the word one, I want you all to read one. And I'll read, there is one Lord, and one faith, and one baptism, and we, and one, and we read it all together. And I do that to say, God really wants us to be one. one. He says in the text, uh, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. Church unity is so important. And one of the ways to spot wolves is they're trying to create factions and divisions and trying to pit people against people. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? You need to know that he's not a good person. He's a da 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 And come to my side against so-and-so. And, oh, they think this, and but we know. And, and you, why don't you come over? And, and we had not so long ago a church split, and, and we had several elders that were, you know, didn't like uh, some things that were happening, and so we came to the surface that we had a different view of what separation it means. Uh, and so I can go into all the theology of that, but it just came clear that they view separation one way, and we view separation another way. And so what we tried to do is we tried to say, okay, look, that's okay. We can have different views of this. This is an open-handed issue. So let's come before the church and let's love each other well. You write a letter, I'll write a letter. We'll come together, we'll read it, and we'll just part ways lovingly. They didn't want to do that. They said, no, you're in sin. Everyone's in sin. We're going to take, you know, so they had little meetings here, and there were meetings in Starbucks, and, and they were saying things like, oh, those elders know. There's things they're not telling you that they know that they're not telling you, and come to Starbucks, and we'll tell you about it. So I called up one of them, and I was like, seriously, dude, what's the thing? Like, there's something that we know that they don't know. What's the thing? Oh, I never said that. I never said that. Well, I had five people say you did. So, you know, just, just but they're just like, they're just trying to, eh, you know what I mean? They're just trying to cause divisions. And God hates that. In fact, Romans 16, 17 says this, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. 
So, so there's something there about if, if someone is trying to pit people against people within the church, they could be a wolf. Uh, also write this down, number two, they speak twisted things. They speak twisted things. Uh, this is from the text, of course. We, again, all the points should come from the text. So uh, verse number 30 now, and from among your own selves, really interesting right there. I could preach a whole lot on that little phrase alone. Yes, those outside the church, but how about those inside the church? But anyway, uh, among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things, twisted things. Here's, here's the idea behind that. It's like it's, 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 it's this, but just twisted a bit. Just a smidge out of kilter. You know, not like if someone came in here and they were saying, Jesus is not God, we'd be like, get out of here, dude. Like, no way. But they come in, they say these little things, and they just twist it a little bit. And Jesus wants you to love yourself. And Jesus wants you to be all about you. Uh, I would say the, the doctrine coming from Joel Olstein is false doctrine. It's a little bit of gospel, a little bit of Bible, but then a massive twist to be self-focused and all about self-actualization and about achieving your best and then you know, having so much faith that you'll never be hungry again and never be sick again and be wealthy and like all of that garbage that's out there that it, it's, he talks about. He even, I, I heard a clip of him preaching the gospel, but yet at the end of it all, it's just this self-focused twist that is just not accurate, not accurate at all, and it's hard to tell. Uh, my uh, professor in college, uh, Dr. Del Ney, would always say, uh, rat poison is 99% cornmeal, but it's the 1% that will kill you. Something to be very aware of. I, I will say this. Um, this church thing is pretty precious to God. Look back at verse 28 for a second. You need to know this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas to care for the church of God. Why is it so important which he obtained with his own blood? Something is only as valuable as someone will pay for it. So uh, I was dismayed when I discovered that the last blaster that was used in the movie Star Wars for Han Solo, remember how Han Solo shot Greedo? Um, of course, you all remember that. The blaster uh, that was used in the movie uh, just sold uh, for $1.8 million. Worth every penny, people. Worth every <laughs> penny. Uh, but how valuable is the church to God? He gave his own blood for it. That's how valuable it is. All right. Um, lastly, this. Uh, they speak twisted things, and they draw people to themselves. Look at this. And they draw away. This is, again, verse 30, the end of verse 30, to draw away disciples after them. Come hear me. Let me tell you about me. I want you to log on to me.com and check out all the things about me. If someone is all about them and their name and their glory, chances are they're a wolf. Do you know there are a lot of pastors out there now that hire uh, personal branding coaches? You know, they'll come up with a style, they'll come up with a look, they'll come up with a thing. And just so you know, I, I don't have one of those. No, I do this all on my own, baby. This is all Jamie. This is all me. I don't because it's not about my brand. 
May there never be a jamiehart.com. So we'll move. Now, just because someone teaches a doctrine different than yours doesn't necessarily mean they're a wolf. Just because someone's caught up in a false doctrine doesn't mean they're a wolf. There's a whole lot of people that we shoot like they're wolves and really they're just a lost sheep that need some tender love. But there are wolves and they are coming. And that could strike fear in your heart this morning. And I want to say to you, don't be afraid. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is John 10. Because who, who ultimately is responsible for caring for the sheep? Jesus is. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but these did not listen to them. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I love that picture. Plus, this is a really important verse here. The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come. They may have life. They may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Listen, don't live in fear, church. Don't live in fear. Be watchful. Be vigilant but also rest in the care of the good shepherd. Now, if I had time, I would talk about covetousness, which is also in the text, which is a danger, and I would love to preach a whole other point on covetousness, and we would talk about the fact when we look at other people and we covet what they have, who are we more focused on, them or us? Us. And so the answer to covetousness is not to be focused on us, but to focus on others. That's why it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when we think about what Jesus did, did he give or did he receive? He gave. And so don't look at other people's stuff and want it. Look at Jesus and acknowledge his thing. But here is kind of the thing I want to leave you with as we depart from this a little late. Uh, I want to say to you, join a small group. Because I think that the real victory over these things, all of these things, come with community. And I want to see you in a small group. So uh, if you're in a small group, say amen. amen. Okay, now I want to say to you who are in a small group, go deeper. Be transparent. Be real. And if you're like, I don't want to do that with all the guys, great. Take two or three of them and take them out to lunch and do that with two or three of them then. But find a people to whom you can be real and honest and transparent, because that's where the battle is going to be won. So, Father God, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for a time in your word. Thank you that it's just so packed with stuff we need today. You're so good to us that way, and we thank you for it. God, I pray that you would bless uh, our church uh, and protect us from these dangers. Let us not shrink because of the gospel, we can face them head on, and we are already victorious over all these dangers through Jesus Christ. And we praise you for that. And in that, we lean and we cry out for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You are loved, Redemption.